This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hello and welcome to Savor, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have a classic episode for you about salt. Yes. Oh, I ran out of salt the other day, Lauren. Oh, no. It was miserable. Oh, that's Um, the worst thing. (laughs) It was not good. And it was one of those things where somebody had purchased for me, because they're very kind and know I never go to the grocery store, this huge thing of salt. Okay. Um... And I think I just, I flew too close to the sun and assumed oh, I'd never run out. Wow, yeah. Um, and I, I definitely did. It was a real wake-up call. <laughs> Heck. I don't I don't cook nearly as often as you do, but I uh, kind of like fancy salts are a thing that I've received mm-hmm. as gifts a whole bunch in my life. And so mm-hmm. I don't think, I'm not sure I could run out of salt if I tried. <laughs> Listen, take it from me. Don't push it, Lauren. <laughs> I I've definitely run out of like of like plain salt and yeah. like like my roommate came in and was like, "Why are why are you like like stir frying with this like black sea salt?" And I'm like, "I don't ask me questions like that." <laughs> <laughs> this is all I've got. <laughs> I do I do have fancy salts. You're right. I do have those. Um it was the plain salt I ran out, but it, the the situation is is rectified. Oh, now. good, 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 good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. That's important. I've got two big things of salt. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yes. Was there any reason this one was on your mind to bring back? Um, nope. Zero percent. Mm. Uh, no. I was just sort of going through the archive, and it um wasn't a plant. <laughs> I love it. You know, you've got to have your rules. <laughs> you got to have your code. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um and this one this one is interesting. We we uh, get to talk with a local salt purveyor, Susie Sheffield of uh, uh, beautiful Briny Sea. And so that's a fun conversation. We we originally recorded this back in 2018. Um, it yep. published in April, so I don't know when. I don't know when we recorded it. When we were uh, moving offices uh, and, and cleaning out, essentially our mm-hmm. old office, I yeah. found a bunch of the uh, oh. the swag she gave us. 
<laughs> including like frisbees and stuff. I have oh, so many right. frisbees and I can't remember the last time I played frisbee, but I've been thinking about it lately. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I've been I've been pet sitting for a very excited dog and mm. she loves a frisbee. So if you I mean, you know, I want you to also <laughs> play frisbee, but like okay. just if you if you need Right. If you need to offload like one or ten or something like that, then then let me know. <laughs> I thought you were gonna be like, if you need a frisbee partner. Oh, I mean that dog. too. <laughs> I mean, come on over. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I often feel like my friends are like, let's go outside, Annie. <laughs> come on. <laughs> I don't mind it. Uh, it comes from a place of love. Uh, but noted, noted. I do have several frisbees, so if you need one, oh. I've got you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. If she chews <laughs> through the one that we have, like within the next couple days, then I'll let you know. <laughs> Put up the emergency frisbee signal. I'll yeah, be there. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we should let past Annie and Lauren take it away. <laughs> and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today, we're talking about one of those basics of culinary everything. Everything, yeah. Salt. Salt. Not the movie. No. As you would guess, watching, listening to a food <laughs> podcast, we are not talking about the Angelina Jolie 2010 movie. I, I, I mean, I guess we could have. I have never seen it, but I could, I could guess, I think. <laughs> What goes on? I have. I don't remember that being a film, but uh, but I'm sure. <laughs> oh. I'm sure it happened. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Um, one salt is so such a big thing that the Oxford English Dictionary has four pages of references to salt. Wow, and that beats all other foods. Oh my goodness! That, huh. How big a thing it is. Yeah, yeah. It's also just really integral to a lot of history, like a lot of things. Without salt, well, A, I guess none of us would technically be alive, but but B, uh, yeah, just, just all kinds of technologies have been driven by the quest for salt. This is true. And this is a special episode because we got to talk to local Atlanta salt expert Susie Sheffield of Beautiful Briny Sea. Yes, a maker of dry goods, including a number of salt blends. Yes, um, and you'll get to hear a bit of that interview at the end, and... They were so gracious, and we got to try so many salt samples. Oh, it was beautiful. They sent us home with, like, a goodie bag of a, yes. a Frisbee, a Frisbee. Thank, thank, thank you so much to them. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, one of the first times that I've, that I've heard someone speak about the flavor of different salts the and, way that she does. So. Yeah, it's really, it's really great. And also, Susie, if you're listening, don't panic about the, the health bit that's coming at the front. Oh, yeah. yeah, because it's always better to <laughs> for your your health and for the taste of food to use salt at home to cook your own food if you can, if you have time. Yeah, so, and sparingly and perhaps in blends to bring out other flavors. Perhaps, perhaps in delicious, delicious blends. But now, perhaps we should go ahead and answer answer that question, Lauren. Oh, salt, salt? What is it? It's a big question. It is. Um, there are lots of types of salt, but 
in general, what we're talking about is sodium chloride. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes called table salt. Sometimes. That's the most common. It's also called halite, which is salt's mineral name, which is also sometimes called rock salt. Uh, rock salt is generally not food grade, and you probably should not lick it. Uh, it might contain mineral or bacterial imp- impurities that would not be good for you. Um, but it is great for getting a container cold enough to make ice cream or for melting the ice on your sidewalk. Oh, yeah. Uh, and despite what the seasoning aisle of your very fancy local grocer might lead you to believe, there are just three basic types of food-grade salt. You've got table salt, sea salt, and kosher salt. Table salt is that uh, that fine-grained, clear-to-white, highly standardized stuff that you'll find in salt shakers across the land. Uh-huh. It's been processed to remove mineral impurities and probably contains some kind of like non-clumping agents such as calcium phosphate and also maybe iodine or other dietary additives. More on that in a second. Okay. Sea salt can be coarse or fine or flaky, depending on how the crystals are grown and harvested and processed, and it can come in a whole bunch of different colors depending on what trace minerals exist in the uh, in the evaporation ponds or chambers where it's made. Iron oxide from volcanic clay or uh, carotene from algae might be the reason that a salt is pink. Mm-hmm. Charcoal or sulfuric compounds can make salt black, and sea clay or wood smoke can produce gray salts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These can change the flavor of the salt a little bit in terms of the minerals or quite a lot in terms of the smoke, depending on, you know, what exactly is involved. Yeah. And kosher salt is coarse-grained and, again, clear or white. It is also processed to remove impurities, but generally does not contain additives. It's called kosher salt because it's used in making meats kosher. It uh, draws out the blood really quickly. Oh, We'll have to do a whole other episode on koshering. Oh, yeah, we absolutely should. Sure, yeah. Um, quick cooking tip. Uh, keep keep the size of your salt's crystals in mind when you're cooking because uh, flakes and fine crystals are best in situations like baking and finishing when you want to disperse the salt evenly and let it dissolve quickly. Uh, coarser grains don't smoosh in with each other as much as finer grains will. So if you're, if you're measuring coarse-grained salt for a recipe that calls for table salt— then you might need to add more of it. Okay. Sodium by itself is just highly volatile, and chlorine is toxic. But the two together are necessary for life in humans and other animals. How can this be? I know. I, I, thought, I thought I was supposed to eat less salt. Yeah, that's what I hear. It's, well, I mean, you probably should. Probably. Uh, <laughs> but, but the sodium in salt is necessary for a few different bodily functions. It, it helps your cells and organs maintain their proper fluid balance. It's used in the contraction and relaxation of your muscle fibers, you know, like including your heart, yeah. important stuff like that. Uh-huh. And it also transmits nerve impulses. So you need some sodium in your diet. Right. And since sodium molecules are fickle, the best way for us to get it is via salt. Mm-hmm. Also, on the good end, some salt helpfully comes iodized, that, that is, with small amounts of iodine added during manufacture. And iodine is another essential mineral that our bodies cannot make, so we have to get it from our food. Our thyroid gland uses iodine to make the hormone thyroxine, which sounds great. Uh, and it is great. It, it then uses that thyroxine to help control just a whole bunch of different bodily functions. Breathing, heart rate, metabolism, body weight— 
When we don't get enough iodine, the thyroid enlarges and becomes overactive in this attempt to grab up more, causing a goiter to form. That's a, that's a kind of bulge at the front of the neck where the thyroid is located. And the thyroid in that condition cannot make enough thyroxine, which can throw off all of those functions I, I mentioned. And even worse, it can uh, stunt physical and mental growth in children. So, yeah. Iodine is found naturally in seawater, and so... If you're eating seafood or vegetables that were grown on land that was once a seabed, uh, frequently like coastal areas or or other low-lying areas, you can get enough on your own. But for folks who live inland or at higher elevations and who do not import a lot of food, hyperthyroidism can be a serious problem. It was such an epidemic in some parts of the United States in the 1920s that we started iodizing salt because A, it's easily done, and, and B, salt is predictably consumed by everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere. In developing areas of the world, stuff like fluoride and folic acid are similarly added to salt for public health purposes. But you only need a tiny amount of salt to get your sodium, maybe as little as like 200 milligrams per day. Ooh. The average American eats about 3,400 milligrams per day. That's a little bit higher than 200 milligrams. (laughs) Just a tiny bit. Just a little bit. Um, According to the CDC, high salt consumption might come out to $20 billion a year in health costs. Um, The research behind that number is disputed, though. Worth noting. But it's a a high amount. It is. Um, And the the problem with salt is that when you eat too much of it, your, your kidneys try to flush the excess sodium out through your urine But if they still can't flush enough, that sodium can build up in the fluid between your cells. And your body will try to dilute it by holding on to water, which increases the volume of the fluid between your cells and the volume of your blood. And that puts pressure on your blood vessels and makes your heart work harder to pump all that blood. And eventually, with continued exposure, this can harden the walls of your blood vessels, creating high blood pressure and increasing your risk of stuff like heart attack, heart failure, and stroke. Yeah. Not good times. Mm Mm-mm. Studies into how much salt is too much are also conflicting. Uh, But most public health organizations agree that eating over 2,300 milligrams a day will have negative impacts on your health. That's about a teaspoon, uh, and it's also about two-thirds of what the average American eats. So reduce by a third, y'all. Okay. Especially uh, if you, like many of us, eat a lot of processed and heavily salted foods in restaurants and at home, perhaps especially through snacks, fast food, uh, processed meats, and prepared meals, either boxed or frozen. Yeah. I had this favorite meal as a kid, and it was um, a mushroom fettuccine Alfredo in a bag. And I remember the day when I realized that, one, the serving size, there were three servings in there, Uh and I was reading it as if it was one. As if it was one. So multiply everything by three. And the salt before multiplied was 2,300 milligrams. Oh, my goodness. And then that was the last time I ever ate it. Like, even as a kid, I knew oh, that's, wow. that's too much. So good good for you. Yeah. That's great. I, I tend to, salt is one of the things I tend to ignore. But after doing this research, I'm like, oh, man, this is going to impact my ramen habit. Well, it also, I remember the saturated fat. It was like 70 grams of saturated fat. There were other problems in the salt. <laughs> It was enough for a high school me to say, to say oh, you know nope. what, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be eating this. Don't like it that much anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the best way to cut down on salt is to prepare your own snacks and meals from fresh ingredients. 
Though, of course, that can be super expensive uh, in terms of money and or time. So just if your family has a history of heart trouble, read your food labels. Uh, choose unsalted or less salted foods and add your own pizzazz at home. Yeah. You're, you're pretty much guaranteed to use less than what would be in pre-seasoned foods. And you can also cut back a little bit by experimenting with herbs and spices or step down off of pure salt by using uh, seasoning blends. But now if you're asking yourself, all that health stuff is terrifying, but what I'm here to learn is something not terrifying. I was asking myself that. (laughs) Well, it's not really a question, but thank you for going with me on it. I I appreciate the yes and. Uh, so, So let's talk about how salt is made. Generally less terrifying. There is some mining involved. Uh, Salt exists in two basic forms in nature, as rocks or halite, and dissolved in the ocean. Ocean water is salty because of the water cycle. Um, Rain and runoff collect sodium and chloride on their way to the ocean, where the salt collects when, when water evaporates to start the whole process over again. Lakes generally don't get salty because they generally have outlets to, to keep their water flowing and fresh, like a, like a good rap song. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, halite is formed by deposits of salt from ancient oceans that have been buried during hundreds of thousands of years of tectonic plate shifts, which is like pretty badass when you it, it is. get right to it. Um, Halite is mined the way that other minerals are via shafts that are drilled and, and rooms cut out into the deposits. And the, the halite, like I said, is usually used as rock salt. Most table salt is created by something called solution mining. Uh, this is where you, you find a salt deposit on the surface and erect a, a well over it, then inject water down into the salt to dissolve it. You pump out the resulting brine, take it to a factory where the brine can be treated to remove any impurities, and then you evaporate the water out in uh, vacuum pans. Vacuum pans? Oh, yeah. Ooh. High pressure, high heat. Good times. The remaining salt is dried into crystals and then refined. And sea salt, as you may have guessed, starts with seawater or salty lake water occasionally. You uh, build shallow pools or trays, fill them with salt water, and let the sun evaporate the water out. When the salt reaches the right thickness for what you're going for, you harvest it, then wash and refine it to the crystal size that you want. And traditionally, the harvest is done by hand, which is why some sea salts can be very expensive. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's our basic intro of salt, (laughs) this massive topic. (laughs) Um, But we've got a lot of history for you. We do. But first, we've got a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer-founded, queer-run, and creating size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies, so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Ready? Okay. 
Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes. All right. Here we go. Salt human history. Humans. Oh, what are those? I'm still trying to figure that out. That is a different podcast. (laughs) But on this podcast, we're going to talk about salt. And uh, humans have been producing salt through salt winning as far back as the Neolithic area. Oh, wow. (laughs) Area? Area. (laughs) That's a different thing. The Neolithic era. But we were gathering it from where it could be found tens of thousands of years previous. Um, Our early ancestors would follow trails to salt salt licks blazed by animals, and under human feet, these paths turned into roads with villages alongside them. At first, getting enough salt from the surface wasn't a problem, but once humanity's diet pivoted from salt-rich meat to more cereals and grains, getting enough of the stuff grew Difficult, and this made salt quite the pricey commodity, and it led to the creation of several of the world's first major trade routes. Yeah, and first major roads, too. Um, One of the earliest known instances of salt cultivation traces back to 6,000 BCE China at Lake Lake Yuncheng. During the dry season, water from the lake evaporated, leaving salt flats ripe for picking, (laughs) harvesting. Yeah. Um, several wars were fought over control of this lake, perhaps, probably, most definitely, in part due uh. to the salt. The first written record of Chinese salt production surfaces around 800 BCE, but in this writing are tales of salt production going back over a thousand years. Oh, wow. When salt gatherers would put seawater in clay pots and boil the water until all that remained was salt. This was the same method later used in southern Europe and the Roman Empire. Further written records indicate that around 450 BCE, the Chinese were producing salt using iron pans, and the process was similar to that of the clay pot. For the most part, early Chinese salt was used in the making of condiments, like we kind of talked about in ketchup, um, paste, or sauces, including an early fermented fish and soybean sauce that was the precursor to soy sauce. Oh, yeah. Soy sauce is going to be a good topic. It is. Chinese Governor Li Bing figured out in 252 BCE that the salt brine was coming from underground and instructed miners to drill for the first brine wells. The workers sometimes got sick and died seemingly randomly, or an explosion or um, shafts of fire would take out several workers at once. Um, Soon, whispers and rumors of evil spirits from the underworld were blamed for these deaths, um, oh, I think that's fair at that and point. Totally, yeah. yeah. Um, these rumors rose to such prominence, two large wells gained reputations as hell mouths. Hell mouths, <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> and each year, the local governors would make offerings to the well to keep the evil at bay. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that was probably ineffective. No, yeah, probably. Oh. Um, A century or so later, in 100 CE, people were setting fire to this invisible substance and using it for cooking, even making mud-insulated bamboo tubes situated over the holes where they knew this 
invisible stuff was coming out. Uh-huh. To pipe it. To pipe it. Um, and they would put it in these sheds called boiling houses. And inside these boiling houses were iron pots filled with brine, which was boiled down into salt crystals with the mysterious invisible stuff. Oh, wow. Natural gas. Natural gas. Yeah. This was probably the first time it was ever used. Salt production also led China to develop the um, percussive drilling, the most high-tech drilling method for several centuries. So they were ahead of the game. Way ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, way ahead. To this day, China is still the leading producer of salt. Oh. The ancient Egyptians figured out salt's usefulness in preservation, and they employed their knowledge of this during mummification. Ah, so cool. Mummies shipped down the Nile were taxed in the same category as salted (laughs) meats. That's a little bit, but okay. Yeah. Uh, Tombs (laughs) for rich folks going back over 4,000 years have been found to contain salted birds or fish. Similar to what the ancient Chinese had going on, salt was gathered from lake beds or Nile marshes, then combined with water and or vinegar, and then mixed with fish parts to make a fish sauce that was very, very popular. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One ancient record praised, there is no better food than salted vegetables. I might agree. Oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much the same process was used for preserving the mummies. Oh, wow. Mm Mm-hmm. The body is placed in natron, which is known as divine salt, covered it entirely over for 70 days, never longer. 70 days, Lauren. That's it. Mm Mm-hmm. By 2800 BCE, the Egyptians were trading their salted fish. The Phoenicians followed suit in 800 BCE. China was in on the salt trade game by at least 1800 BCE. In 6th century BCE, England towns, um, England towns were formed near where salt could be found. And this Ah. is where the suffix witch, W-I-C-H, comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, But at least by at least 400 CE, Northern Europeans were getting salt from mines near Salzburg, which translates to salt town. (laughs) I get so excited about these, like, (laughs) words. Especially, yeah, yeah. Oh, that etymology show. Someday. Someday. Someday it'll happen. One day, Lauren. Um, These mines weren't very stable, the ones near Salzburg, and it wasn't uncommon for miners to find perfectly preserved bodies of their predecessors. Oh. That's a little terrifying. Yep. Rome was also built near salt, and the first road they constructed to reach their salt works after they moved it a bit further away was named Via Salaria, the salt road. Oh. Mm -hmm. As far back as 6th century BCE, Roman leaders controlled the salt trade in the empire. And during times of turmoil or poverty, Roman officials would make sure the price of salt was low to keep people calm. Except during the Punic Wars when a high salt tax was used to fund the military. Ah. The tax was based off of your home's distance from the salt mine. And the fellow who determined this was no joke called the saltinator. Saltinator? The saltinator. I don't even have a pun prepared for this. I have a great visual in my head, but that doesn't help anybody. No. Well, nonetheless. We'll work on it. Write, yeah. in, write, in, write in if you've got one, a y'all. saltinator pun. Yeah. Um, and some more etymology. The Roman word for salt, sal, is closely related to the goddess of health, salus, because they would use it not only to preserve meats, but also to preserve your health. 
as an antiseptic. Ah. Um, Saul is also where the word salary comes from. And the word soldier, a soldier's pay used to have a salt component. Unless the soldier wasn't cutting it, then his pay would be slashed because he wasn't worth his salt. Ah. Yeah. This phrase also derived from the practice of buying slaves with salt in both Italy and Greece. Salad also comes from the Roman word for salt uh, because uh, the Romans would salt their lettuce. Oh. Yeah. Salting the earth um, comes from the ancient practice of militaries making sure crops couldn't grow back by plowing the fields with salt. Oh. Yeah. Um, a large salt deposits had already been mined in India prior to Alexander the Great's arrival. The Aztec and Maya traded salt pre-Columbus too. And before we've talked about Venice— and the influence it wielded over the spice trade, and it was no different with salt. Ah. Trade with Constantinople in particular made them quite rich. Those in power in China were also doing their best to take control of the salt trade in their country by 1st century CE. Emperor Zhao Di organized a group to discuss the salt and iron monopoly, which was documented in the Discourse on Salt and Iron. By the first century CE, salt accounted for half of the Chinese state's revenue. Ooh. Yeah. By fourth century CE, the Chinese suspected a link between iodine deficiency and goiters. So they were already... They were on it. Yeah. If we look at Africa, by sixth century CE, Moorish traders would use salt to pay for an ounce of gold. And until 1935, salt slabs were a currency in Ethiopia. Marco Polo told tales of salt coins with Genghis Khan's face on them in 1295. Other uses for salt started popping up in the 18th century, including the invention of a method to get sodium carbonate in 1792, which led to soda water. Oh, right. Yeah. By 1850, that's where 15% of the salt in France was going. Ah. Very popular. Yeah. Salts and high taxes on salt. Um, That was one of the many grievances that led to the French Revolution. Much later, in the 1930s, the British solely controlled and profited from Indian salt production, and Gandhi protested by leading a large group to the coast to make their own their own salt in the Salt March to Dundee. Oh, wow. Yeah. In 1800s France, Napoleon called for a deep dive in the connection between goiters and iodine deficiency which produced the first scientific evidence and led to the recommendation of iodized salt in 1833. French scientist B. Courtois first isolated iodine from— Oh, no, I said iodine. (laughs) Lauren and I have been doing this the whole time. Iodine from the burnt remains of seaweed a couple of decades earlier in 1811. The reason Napoleon pushed for this— was to get to the bottom of why large swaths of men from certain regions were being rejected for military service. Oh. It would become commercially available in the States in the 1920s, iodized salt. In early America, the first patent for salt production went to Massachusetts, which would continue to produce salt for 200 years. The main reason the Erie Canal opened was mainly to speed up the transportation of salt. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Salt was such an important resource during the American Civil War. Any man on the Confederate side willing to work in salt production was waived of military service, particularly after the Union captured Confederate salt works. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. But lately, due to those health things we mentioned earlier, salt has taken a bit of a hit in popularity. But I would say, like, fancier salt. is way on the rise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, which is nice. It's nice to have options. It really is. 
It really is. So that's kind of a <laughs> whirlwind of history. <laughs> yes. Yes. There's a, a lot a lot out there about salt. Yeah, and uh, the the reasons why salt was this important, uh, in, in addition to being a thing that we literally need to make our bodies work, um, is that it's got a couple other really cool properties. And yeah. we will get into those after one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Okay. We eat a lot of salt. Yes. We've established this. Yes. But... We actually use more of it to salt roads during the winter. We absolutely do. We do. Adding salt to roads lowers the rate of accidents by over 80%, which is a big deal, especially because, injury prevention aside, snow-covered roads can cost the state up to $700 million a day here in the U.S. And, like, lost workforce and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. Oof. So um, (laughs) it does have a lot of these fascinating sort of chemical properties, and I ran across— um, it's like a, it's a Smokey the Bear-esque mascot named uh-huh. Old Salty. Old Salty? He looks, I guarantee you what you're picturing in your head is what it is. Uh, he's got like a grizzly beard and a pipe, and his slogan is, Never gamble on an unsalted road. <laughs> <laughs> old Salty. Oh, Old Salty. Uh, I think, oh man, if, if he weren't copyright protected, which I'm sure he is, then he yeah. would be a new character in our food stuff. Bill. Yes, that we're building out we're slowly. Building, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I cannot. I cannot tell you how old salty works, but I can tell you the reasons behind some of these chemical and physical properties that salt has, um, because it, it really is kind of a miracle worker. Yeah. Uh, when salt forms a solution with water, it changes the temperature at which the water or, or the solution really freezes and boils. So. 
salt water freezes at a lower temperature than regular water does. That's why salt is applied to roads. It forms a solution with the ice and keeps that solution liquid at below freezing temperatures. That's why you also might add salt to the ice bath that you use to chill the bowl of an old-fashioned ice cream maker. As the salt melts the ice, the solution gets colder than it was because the the physical process of of melting releases heat energy. Mm -hmm. So it goes like a few like noticeably degrees colder and will therefore help your ice cream form up faster. Oh, thanks, salt. Yeah. Also, salty water boils at a higher temperature than regular water. It won't make a pot of water boil faster, but it will make it boil hotter. Oh. So if you're, for example, dropping pasta into it, it's going to cook a little bit quicker, which is exactly what you want for something for like good al dente pasta. Because if you leave it in there, it just gets soggy. Nobody wants. Right. Nobody wants sog- soggy pasta. Do you remember the Olive Garden conundrum? The Olive Garden conundrum? <laughs> That's what I'm calling it. What? No, I don't. I know it was like an economic, um, I feel kind of bad for Olive Garden, not that I like Olive Garden, but <laughs> they weren't putting um, salt in their water oh, uh-huh. to boil it, and it's like such a basic thing. Yeah. There's some economic, they call it the Olive Garden something, oh. where they would have been saving money and producing a better product. Had they done this simple step? <laughs> oh, I don't want to hit on uh, hate on Olive Garden. Well, I kind of do much longer. So That's let's right. let's move on. Yeah, uh, another one of the amazing properties of salt is that it is hygroscopic. Uh huh. Which is a fancy way of saying that it attracts water molecules. Crystals of salt actually absorb molecules of water the the way that a towel does. Uh, or even more hardcore than a towel does, really, because the salt will keep absorbing water until it dissolves into a salt water solution. Your average bath towel will not do that. No, no ma'am. No. Yeah. If it does, I'm not sure who you even call at that point. Ghostbusters, if they were real. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Obviously. And this, not the Ghostbusters, but the hygroscopic thing, is why salt is such a good preservative. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack that a little bit. When food spoils, it means microorganisms have started eating your food before you had a chance to get to it. Uh, That A, makes it gross, and B, makes it possibly hazardous to eat because those microorganisms might produce toxic byproducts either in the food or in your body if you you eat them. For once, this is a non-triumphant cry of bacteria poop. It's like a a, bacteria poop. Oh. Yeah. Womp womp. But those microorganisms need water to live, just just like you and me. There's a lot of water in fresh foods, and in chemistry, this is measured in what's called the product water activity. It's, it's a number that signifies how many free water molecules are present in the given food. Many fresh foods have around 0.99 water activity. If you lower that to 0.94, most disease-causing bacteria cannot grow, and around 0.91, most any bacteria cannot grow. Molds are a little bit hardier. You've got to go below like 0.80. But you can achieve this through salt curing. When you put salt on a food, it'll draw water molecules out of the food until it forms a salt water solution. The solution will then, via the process of osmosis, work to balance the molecules of salt inside and outside of the food, meaning that salt goes in and water goes out to the surface where it can evaporate. Mm Mm-hmm. Salt also messes with microorganisms in another way. Uh, it can disrupt the activity of their enzymes and even weaken the molecular structure of their DNA, which makes it pretty hard for them to, like, thrive and reproduce. Yeah. 
I imagine so. Yeah. Not good. I keep thinking about this, that Seinfeld episode where <laughs> George's dad, he, he was like a chef for the army in Vietnam. And he, he got this shipment of bad meat. Uh-huh. And he was trying to hide that it had spoiled. Oh. And he put like so much salt and seasoning <laughs> on it. And then everybody got sick. Got really sick. And he, you know, he was having like flashbacks. It was playing. <laughs> it was some movie I haven't seen that they were parodying, but it stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it was Apocalypse Now. Probably. It probably was. Further research. Yes, different thing. Absolutely. Uh, but we do have a little bit more about um, one of the things I really wanted to know. Salt's connection to religion and superstition. Yeah, yeah. It's not just a—well, I mean, I, I'm not the only one who would call it a miracle worker. No, no, you're not. Throughout history, salt has held an almost supernatural importance. According to Homer, salt was divine. And I said that with such a, like, attitude. Like attitude. I didn't divine. mean to. Um, Plato called it a, <laughs> a substance dear to the gods. From the Bible, Leviticus 2.13 with all thine offerings, thou shalt offer salt. There's also, of course, ye are the salt of the earth, which denotes the worthy members of the Christian flock. In the biblical story of Lot, um, he and his family are fleeing the city of Sodom, and he they're all instructed to never look back. But Lot's doubtful wife did just that and turned into a pillar of salt. Ah. Later, though, salt seemed to get back in Christianity's good book, Oh, oh man, I was so proud of myself when I wrote that. <laughs> I was like, Eddie, you're really, you're really making it work today. Um, in early Rome, salt was placed on the lips of an eight-day-old infant, a baptismal ceremony which evolved to the placing of a salt morsel in the baby's mouth to make sure the whole thing really took. Oh, good. Yeah. Because it's a preservative, the Jewish people saw it as a symbol of the everlasting covenant between God and Israel. And the salt as a purifier thing is probably where the trope you see in horror and supernatural entertainment of making a circle of salt are placing salt at the doors and the windows, and this will protect you from malevolent ghosts or spirits. Um, Buddhism and Shintoism hold similar beliefs about the cleansing aspects of salt. In the Shinto rite of sumo wrestling, a handful of salt is tossed into the center of the ring before the wrestlers enter. Ah. And for Buddhist tradition, salt is tossed over the shoulder before returning to your home after a funeral to get rid of any evil spirits that are riding on your back. Ah, so much salt tossing goes on in these. Yeah. I think think there's going to be another one in a second. Yeah. And I I totally forgot until I was doing this research that my mom gave me a purifying Himalayan salt lamp for Christmas. This year? Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) I like it. It's pretty. Yeah, yeah. Um, Salt lamps are beautiful. Yeah, yeah. In Ozark superstition, it's a widely held belief that the devil hates salt. Okay. And therefore, witches eat very little salt. So people would observe how much much salt salt you ladies be eating. Oh. And if you weren't eating that much salt, you could be in some serious trouble. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. Eventually, this religiosity took on a more supernatural aspect. You would cry over spilled salt, for example, because it meant impending doom. Oh. Leonardo da Vinci even depicted this in his painting of The Last Supper with the spilled salt cellar in oh. front of Yeah. Um, I didn't know that's what that was. No. And then I read this. 
well, I'm reading what I wrote. <laughs> I wrote this thing that I read. Oh, my gosh. Um, to dispatch this bad omen, the subject of the spilled salt would pinch some between the fingers and toss it over the left shoulder. The left side was where all the bad spirits were hanging out. Clearly. Um, anything, And you could get worse things than bad spirits. I'm going to guess that's where the tossing the salt over the shoulder for good luck or to ward off bad luck comes from, but I never found anything definitive about that. And a further note about the salt cellar, which is sort of a tub for salt. Yeah. Until the late 18th century, according to Amy Vanderbilt's complete book of etiquette, social status at banquets was determined by where the guests sat in relation to the usually very fancy silver salt cellar. Oh. Yeah. So the host and any distinguished guest were seated at the head of the table or above the salt. The further below the salt you were, the less important you were, and you, you might as well just go home. Oh, man. But you're at the other end of the table. Duly noted, if I ever want to deliver a really good, like, like 1700s <laughs> sick burn. Okay. <laughs> no one gets it, but in your head you're like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> They'll never know. <laughs> um, there are a couple of theories about where the phrase grain of salt comes from one involving our old friend Pliny. Oh. Yeah. His writings described a recipe for a poison that called for a grain of salt to as an antidote, um, meaning you can take the threats of being poisoned less seriously or with a grain, grain of, of salt. salt. Yeah. Okay. Um, a different version of the story, Roman General Pompey allegedly would swallow small portions of a bunch of different poisons in an effort to make himself immune, and instead of a spoonful of sugar, he used some salt to help the poison go down. Ah. Yeah. Oh. Sure. <laughs> Prove the taste of anything. <laughs> um, it could also be a mistranslation. In Latin, it could translate to either with a grain of salt or with a grain of wit. Oh. Yeah. That actually makes a lot more sense than any of those other things. It probably is I that. I feel really silly now. <laughs> Don't feel silly, Lauren. Um, as for the phrase salty, ah, uh -huh. um, meaning irritated, it dates all the way back to 1938. All right. But it was first submitted to Urban Dictionary in 2002. Its more modern usage is thought to have originated in online gaming communities. Huh. Yeah. Well, cheers to whoever brought that one back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I'm like, 1938. Um, aside from religion, there are so many fairy tales with salts, almost all of which having some aspect of salt being worth as much as, if not more than, gold. Or why the seas are salty. That usually involves some kind of revenge. Ah. Yeah. So if you're interested in foodstuff fairy tales about salt, they are out there. Oh, out more, there more, more fairy tales for our, for our story hour. I know. Oh, perfect. Yes. Okay, great. Make, make a catalog. And... A couple of days ago, for Lauren and I, not probably for you listening. Probably not. That's a weird time thing that happens with podcasting. Lauren and I, we, we got to go on a foodstuff field trip. Ah, uh, which is so great. Oh, we So many them. opportunities around Atlanta. Yeah. They are. There are. Um, and we got to go visit beautiful Briny Sea, where they make salts and, and also blends. And other dry goods. Oh, yeah. Sprinkles, sugar. Yeah. It was lovely. We got to talk to the uh, founder, Susie. She was fantastic. And we got to try a lot of salt. Oh, yeah. Eleven different kinds of salt. Yeah. There's seven kinds of salt and four blends. It was really great. It was great to hear someone so passionate talk about salt like it was wine. That was my favorite part. Oh, yeah. Or, or like, a, like a perfume, like a perfumer would discuss different scent notes. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so we have uh, some of that interview for you to listen to. <laughs> um, 
All right. So, uh, so, so, hi. Who, who are you? CZ Sheffield. I have a company called Beautiful Brownie C in Atlanta's historic Grant Park. Oh, yeah. And you guys produce a whole bunch of salt blends and sugar blends and yes. sprinkles and yes. dry goods <laughs> is the way I like to think of it. So I've always been involved in food. I had, actually had a restaurant for 17 years. And when I moved back to Atlanta, my, um, my hometown, I, I knew I didn't want to have a restaurant. And I tried to think of the most shelf-stable venture um, where I could still work with fresh ingredients and farmers and local markets. And so salt seemed to be a perfect... Um, a perfect starting point, and it's actually become a palette to me. So a, a way to kind of express things and evoke flavors that I want or create items that kind of tell a story. So I'm like slightly salt overwhelmed right now. Um, <laughs> we're, we're sitting here in front of a spread of, um, it looks like you've got four salt blends and well, I can't count, six types? Six. We bring in, it's sort of like a, a laboratory back there. Any any type of salt, anything that I read about, anything that I find, you know, we just kind of bring it in, figure out it's, uh, like where it hits on a salt scale and then what its finish is. So, um, but we use, the salt that I use in all of our blends, it's an Atlantic ocean salt. Uh, the water's harvested off the coast of Brazil. It's solar evaporated. And um, I like it because it's slightly salt forward, but it has an immaculately clean finish, so it just picks up anything you blend with it, so. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for like a good, like, neutral salt, but there are all kinds of other different, uh, I mean, you, you're talking about salt in a way that I don't think I've ever heard anyone speak with, with, a, with flavor profiles. And oh, salt is just, I mean, like wine, it imparts the flavor of the lay of the land that it's surrounded in. Salt, all salt does come from seawater. It all comes from the ocean, but you have to understand, like, some oceans are ancient and are just like big rock beds now. So the pink Himalayan, for example, um, and the Bolivian salt. Those are just harvested from ancient, ancient oceans. Um, we have surface oceans, the water that we see now. That's where you get that a large variety, like your Malden salt, all the flake salts you see. There is one interesting company, Dickinson in West Virginia. They have an ancient ocean underground, and they actually like pipe it in and then uh, solar evaporate it. Um, but it's it's... It's, it's fascinating. So that's, that's one uh, company that's really interesting to read. Just like in the Jacobson Salt Company, um, he's gathering uh, water from the Pacific Northwest in, in Oregon, and then he kettle boils it, which it's fascinating. It makes these beautiful flakes. I, I'm, I'm uh, uh, curious about how, just how, how the harvesting works. How do you, I mean, you're, are you growing your own crystals mm-hmm. and then packing them? Yes. They're, they're different processes. Like um, these, they're, they're mined salts, which, you know, you were getting the, the, the mineral deposit um, from an ancient ocean and at the bottom of the mountain or, or inside a mountain. It's truly mined. Then you have uh, some of these flake salts um, you, gathering the seawater and putting it on trays and then solar evaporating it. Um, there are also there are techniques where you gather the seawater, you let it settle and then boil it. So if you've, if, if in old text, you can see big cauldrons of boiling water and at the end, the residue or byproduct is your salt. So. And uh, the, the, the size of the grains is fascinating to me and has so much to do with how, um, how it dissolves in your food or in your mouth. How does that go into your process of figuring out what to do with stuff? 
Well, I, I prefer a kosher size grain. That's just the way I've learned to cook, and I think a lot of people do. Um, fine salt, uh, you know, is, is great for finishing. And some of the small, like, like a fleur de sel or like the celery here, they're naturally like a finer grain. They're softer, and they hold a lot of moisture. With our truffle salt, we use uh, a fleur de sel for that reason. It's just the moisture kind of traps that really distinct, really strong flavor of the mushroom. Um, but then your flake salts, that's what's really wonderful about cooking with them. You just grab it and you can break it into the size grain that you like. And some naturally, like some of these, especially the two Hawaiians, some will naturally just break into like a kosher size, if you will, grain. And some, like I was saying, are more sugary, more sandy. Um, but the flake salt's really fun to work with. It's hard to, um, they're and actually great with cocktails too, because they'll kind of float and then and, and dissolve a little. So you have sort of this layer of um, and sometimes, you know, you do want, you do want that crunch of salt when you're cooking, you know, you want it, it as a finishing, but somewhere throughout the meal, you're like, oh, hello, you know, and so that's pleasant. Yeah. So that's great to work with, um, the flake salts for that reason. So you were asking earlier, like how each salt is distinct and different. Mm-hmm. Just think of like a wine region or why, you know, like if, if you are eating a goat cheese, um, where the goats have been eating alfalfa and, alfalfa and clover and lavender, those, those, those things come through. So these dried up, if you can imagine like how rich and, and dense, um, like these mine salts where the, the ocean and all the fossils. And I mean, so it's, it's really fascinating just how each one distinctly tastes different. Why sea salt rather than uh, manufactured salt? I mean, not that it's not manufactured, I suppose. It's, it's, but. Just, it's just so pure and so clean and has such a distinct personality. And salt is uh, used for many things um, and has been since the beginning of time. Um, for one, uh, you know, it's a preservative. It's, a, it's, it's, you know, not to be confused. It's not like a seasoning. It's actually a flavor enhancer. I like to think of it in two forms, like a flavor enhancer, but also a, a flavor moderator. Like if, if, just like if you... Think of the human body. Our sodium potassium pump keeps every function and every organ and every system in check. So just like if you have um, like a dish and you're trying to, you know, figure it out or if it's a little too acidic or a little too sweet or if it's bitter or if all the ingredients are in there proportionately, but it's just not working. Salt just transforms that, makes things happen. It pulls pulls things together. And as far as being a flavor enhancer, um, think of... Like the best summer tomato, and when you take a bite, it's like equal parts sweet and acidic, and it's just fabulous. And if you put a little bit of salt on it, it's that much more fabulous. But it doesn't change the way it tastes; just makes it a little bit better. So, um, and how do you, how do you how do you work with that when you're creating these blends? Well, the reason, like I was saying, the reason that I chose this Atlantic, the Brazilian ocean salt, for one, it it naturally breaks into this sort of kosher sized grain. Um, it's flavor. It's, there's there's a little punch of salt up front, but then after that, it's super clean. So it's I know I always know where it's going to hit. So it's it's just like a blank canvas. Every time I kind of want to tell a story, or every time I want to create a blend, I just I, I know exactly what my baseline is. So, could you talk about the uh, the blends that we have here today? Sure. When I when I first started the company. It was rosemary, lavender, mushroom, and pink peppercorn. Those are my four flavors. It's just um, super basic. Um, but then one day um, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to try and make a blend. So without even thinking, I just kind of came up with this first flavor that you see here. And I was like, you know what, this is my first blend. It's going to have to have a fabulous name. 
And I woke up one morning, it's like, okay, magic unicorn. <laughs> so for no reason, <laughs> for no reason, but it's um, smoked paprika, garlic, rosemary, Meyer lemon, and a little celery. And it's just sort of an all-purpose flavoring with the sea salt. Um, and the great thing, you know, the salt preserves the herbs and spices, herbs and spices infuse the salt. <laughs> and then once this, you know, once I started playing around and getting more ingredients in the studio and um, I, I decided to start kind of going on food memories or food stories or my favorite things that I like to eat and kind of recreating it through the salt. So French picnic is, is kind of everything I like. Like once I, I was asked to describe my cooking style and just out came French picnic because I love the sort of discipline of a French kitchen. But then you just, the idea of a picnic and just the whimsy and the um, creativity behind just preparing this meal. So think charcuterie, um, grain mustard, which I'm, I just love any kind of mustard. Um, Fresh herbs, of course, always. So this is uh, Dijon mustard, garlic, herb de Provence, some pink peppercorn. And uh, it just has that sort of tang from the mustard. The garlic is there and then the herbs are subtle. You can tell each one, but at the same time you can't. So that's, it's one of my favorites to work with. And then this one, this is uh, called campfire. And I grew up every summer we would spend in Western North Carolina. I went to camp there all my life, um, and we'd go camping, and we, my, my parents had a house, and so, I mean, since literally, like, I was probably three years old, I'm that part of Western North Carolina, the ancient Appalachian Mountains, and there are certain, like, the smells, um, especially because of the hemlock forest there, it's just, it has a distinct smell, and so I wanted to create this flavor. Um, it's, it's got cumin, so that's kind of earthy, like the forest floor, it's got sumac, which is that sour note in there from uh, just reminiscent of like blackberry picking. It's got uh, <laughs> chilies, just sort of like the campfire. So, um, and it, it surprisingly like with the sumac and the cumin, which sometimes a little cumin for me goes a long way, but I'm okay with it in there because all of those flavors kind of work together. So, this is slightly off the topic of salt, yeah. but um, <laughs> but uh, so, so you're, you're talking about working with scent memories and stuff like that. Um, can I can I ask if you have any foods that you're just completely nostalgic for? I grew up with a great mom cook. My mom just made just like great, simple, basic things. Um, and, you know, I, in the summer, I think anything over rice, like stewed tomatoes, okra, corn, peas, all these kind of simple late summer southern dishes, that's one sort of comfort food to me always. Um, I love anything with a, anything that that can have a vinaigrette or a little bit of acid to it, any sort of dish. Um, I love the, all this fermentation happening now and, all, and like, the sourness of foods and, like, with, the, you know, sour beers even, which, um, actually, the Wrecking Bar here in town, they come over. They found this, speaking of, like, different salts and different flavors, they came in, and it took them literally, like, 10 minutes to figure out what they wanted. They tasted all of these salts, so they took three and blended it together, and that's what they used to make their goza. And the salinity, and you can tell exactly what they were going for. And they were, I mean, beer nerding it up big time, but they were great salt nerds. Like, they did a great job. They just went boom, 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 blended it, got the portions just right. And, and so they come over with, you know, we have an open-door policy here with all the chefs and bar programs. But they, um, they walked right in and knew exactly what they wanted and did it after just tasting one second. So sorry to get off topic, but that's how I go. No, no, <laughs> so, not at all. No, that's great. That's yeah. so. <laughs> Is there a lot of experimenting that goes on? How do you work out, like, the ratios and blends and stuff like that? Um, well, I'm a terrible—this is why you will never want me to bake anything for you. I'm a terrible, terrible measurer. I don't, 
I don't, I, I'm, I just come in and kind of make it up as I go along. Well, then of course, having the company kind of have to <laughs> have a little structure, <laughs> but, um, so for, for all of these flavors, like everyone has its different story about how it was created. Like I was either craving a flavor and wanting to create a food memory or there's a happy accident or, but mostly like uh, magic unicorn first try, got it, wrote everything down. French picnic, it took months. I would throw it out, try something. Oh, too much lavender. Oh wait, pink peppercorn, but I don't want the texture. So, you know, and I want the sweetness of the pink peppercorn. I don't want the I don't want the the pepper to even translate, you know, but I do like that color and I do like the, that after sweetness, especially the pink peppercorn. And I was trying to find a way for a while, like how to take all the skin off the peppercorn and I actually found a way. So we do, we like sit and like scrape all the skin off. So you have that residual sweetness, but you don't have like the pepper competing with the salt. So, um, and I totally already forgot what you asked. So sorry. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Oh, oh, the recipes. So, yeah, it's it's sort of um, it's sort of like you know shoes. Like you buy shoes and then you get an outfit to go with it later. You have an outfit and you need to find shoes. So it's just sort of like you know what what's what's next. And when when I re- if I let a flavor go, then I'll have to think of the next flavor that I want. But the what's been really interesting and one of the most exciting and unexpected parts about this are our collaborations and the first one of the very first uh, was uh, there's a wonderful store in New York City called Fish's Eddie. And it's on the Broadway and 16th, I think. Um, but Julie, the owner, was, um, I was at a trade show, my first trade show, so I was all buttoned up and trying to be extra on the ball. And she's like seasoned retail um, wizard. So she, she kind of was circling the booth. And then she walked up to me and she said, so do you do, um, can you make special blends? Do you do custom orders? And I was like, sure, you know, never having done one before. And she said, okay, well, I need a salt that's New York, and I need a salt that's Jewish. Can you make me? Um, and I said, uh, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> and so that's where we came up with um, the everything bagel salt. Um, and and so uh, then I'm trying to think. Like people call all the time, like, um, and just wanting, like, can you do this? Can you do that? And if, if the answer is either yes, of course, or I don't know, come on in and let's figure out. Um, we've started uh, partnering with Delta, and um, their executive chef came in yesterday, and he just had this long list of words like Spanish, um, things like uh, umami, or so we would just sit and like make these flavors. So we. He left with about 14 different blends. Um, uh, Paul Calvert at Ticonderoga Club, uh, a couple of months ago, um, he was working on a cocktail, and he said, can you make me a kefir lime salt? And I was like, sure, but then my next steps are like, you know, do you want do you want a flake salt? Do you want it to sink? Do you want it to garnish? Do you want it to garnish the outside of the glass? So there are these fun, like, little formulas, like, but you really literally make it up as you go along. So I send him three samples. I was like, do you want it to be, you know, a sweet finish? Do you want to, you know, punch in the face finish? You know, and so he, we kind of had the conversation back and forth, and I made him three samples, and he picked the one he liked. So it's always fun. That's what I'm saying. The salt is just this perfect canvas to play with. And, um, but it, as far as, like, nailing like a formula or something. I just say it's sort of, sort of, sort of like you would, I guess, you know, uh, with artists, like there's always unfinished work or, you know, you like I, when people come in, we have people come in and make their own blends all the time. And my first rule is like, do not try to rescue what you're making. Like if, if, if you don't like it, like, please dump it out. Like there's no, there's no sense. <laughs> and so that's always fun, but people make some great stuff, like really great stuff and just out of nowhere. So 
Um, yeah, you've got a lot of uh, crazy ingredients back there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, this is this might be a big ask off the top of your head. Do, do, could, could you just like like list off like what you've got back there? Like like what 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 are you playing with in your palettes? Um, I mean, it's it's constantly like evolving. Hundred. I mean, well, if it's it's sort of like going through someone's drawer. Um, if you reach like behind, like of course we have all the alliums up front, but then if you reach behind, we have um, cedar tips, and then a little, so it's sort of like going through somebody's kitchen cabinet, which I invite everyone to please come over at any time. We have an open door policy; it's more fun that way. Like, um, just you you get inspiration from anything, like uh, just and I'll call or get online or look through catalogs and source. Like, I, I need some of that, or like the long pepper, um, which is like multiple personality disorder. Like I, I'm still trying to figure out how to work with that one. It's like sour and then it's hot and then it goes away and then it comes back to get you. And so, you know, so we have tons of little jars of things like that. Um, Terry Koval at the Wrecking Mart brought us, uh, he smoked some beets and then dehydrated them. So we have dehydrated smoked beets. So you can imagine the the smokiness and then you're like, awesome. Oh, whoa, hello, sweet. And then, you know, so, and then the green, the tips were still on them. So there's that green herbaceous. So it's like all sorts of things. So anything and everything is back there. Um, and people bring us stuff all the time. We have uh, service berries growing out front. So once those are ready, I'm going to dry some. We'll see what that's like. So um, every day is something different, which is great. That's why I love this palette that salt provides. So yeah, That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> how many do you, how many blends have you made? Do you know? We have uh, 14 blends that we make. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, about seven or eight collaborations um, with uh, our one of our biggest partners, and I say partnered in the truest sense because we just have we have such a great working relationship is William Sonoma, which all of these partnerships happened totally organically. Like we were a tiny company. William Sonoma, I was here at eight o'clock one night, and I got an email from this girl who saw something about a farmer's market post, and she said, "Oh, would you mind sending samples?" So I was like, "Yes, big." big fancy company. <laughs> and so I ran, I ran to FedEx cause it was an eight, eight thirty cutoff and I dropped in the mail and then, um, Pont city market opened and our salt ended up there. And, uh, now we have, um, close to 20 SKUs with them. But when I say they're wonderful to work with us, cause, uh, like they're just like, can you do this? Like, like let's, let's have a conversation about this and what they like to do with all of their products. Everything kind of tells a story. So, like, one time I even got an email saying, can you do some Portland Portland stuff? And I was like, okay. So, you just kind of, it's just this fun conversation you have with yourself, you have with each other, you have with yourself, with your food memories or your travel memories. So, um, and then Delta, um, you know, since they're located here, uh, we had this woman call us. Uh, because she saw the, uh, she called the one eight hundred number, and then she looked at the can and was like, "Oh, you're in Atlanta." She had gotten a can of our Friends Forever, which is I forgot to bring that out. We should have brought Friends Forever out. That's a fun story. Um, she she came and she's like, "Oh, I see you're in Atlanta. Do you mind if I swing by?" So she came in like her workout clothes and walked in. And then when she was in the back, she's like, "So um, I work for Delta. Uh, we do all their Sky Club experiences." Like do you guys mind coming and bringing lunch Friday and telling us your story? And so, <laughs> yes, and we did. And so now we, um, we're partnering with them to make all these really cool flavors um, for, for their Sky Club. So, because um, said the guy came in the other day, and we had a great time just making up. I mean, he left with sacks of ideas, so. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Friends Forever is the one that's uh, honey, honey and salt. Honey. Right? 
And and how do you how do you do the honey granules? Well, so it's it's spun honey that's been dehydrated and then it's ground on. And I I did not make it for myself. I made it for my sweetheart who loves sweet and savory and I want those two as far apart as possible. So, it's called Friends Forever and it's honey and salts so like hugs and tears and you know. So, <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's it's my least favorite. I'm I'm not afraid to say, but it's it's a lot of people's favorite. So <laughs> very simple. It's simple. <laughs> you know, I mean, just the history of salt itself is fascinating. I mean, salt wars, um, a million bazillion uh, literary references in salt. Um, just the whole salt trade in general, currency. Uh, salt as a form of currency. It's just fascinating. I encourage anyone to study it. I mean, in basic, the basic form of human life, salt. So, you know, um, and I, you know, people can uh, spout, you know, literary references and ancient things. But my favorite, especially for what I do for a living, is R.W. Apple Jr. He was the um, travel and food critic for the Times forever uh, to, to, for a contemporary quote, um, without Without salt, life would be impossible. Without pepper, life would be impossibly dull. And I've always loved that. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) I agree. And that brings us to the end of this classic episode. We hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did and as much as we enjoyed all of the salts we got to try and talk about. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, and we uh, and we did we did get to go back and do that salt blending um, situation, and uh, we made we made a couple really delicious ones that we never yep. followed up about. So they never like we never like got our own. Well, at that point, food stuff, but now savor salt blend. I guess we could go back. We could. It was really good. It was meant for like a Bloody Mary kind of yeah. situation. Oh. And it was kind of Bloody Mary flavored. It was very good. Yeah. I was I was impressed. <laughs> but right? I probably shouldn't have been, but hey. <laughs> yeah. No, it was really fun. It was way too much fun. I yeah. just want to go, yeah, pour salt into tiny dishes again. <laughs> <laughs> it felt very like science experiment. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, perhaps in the future. Perhaps mm-hmm. in the future, Lauren. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, if you listeners would like to email us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. 
Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.